This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Friday edition of Hockey Central here on Sports at 960. Uh, no show yesterday because the Toronto Blue Jays had their season opener in St. Louis. They win 10-9. to 9. That was a fun one uh, for any Blue Jays fans listening in. Uh, I made a tweet yesterday uh, about opening day. I am in... <laughs> I am in Niagara Falls right now for the Canadian Women's National Team pre-tournament camp, uh, and they are playing against Team Finland tomorrow, so I decided I'll come visit my family. They live nearby. I'll watch the Blue Jays. I'll go to camp. It'll be great. And then I made a tweet yesterday. Uh, Taylor brought this to my attention (laughs) before the show started. Uh, My dad had a bag of popcorn sitting next to him that was about the size of, I mean, he was bigger than my dog. Taylor, how would you describe that <laughs> bag of popcorn for Blue Jays season opener? It was it it looked like it was about two feet tall, maybe even <laughs> more than that, just filled to the brim. Yeah. It looks it's one of those ones where if you're at like a fair, you know the size of those giant, you know, teddy bears that people try to win at carnivals? It was like that size. The ones that kids always try to win, but the games are rigged so you can't win them. It was that size. So if anyone's interested in, you know, what the vibe was like in the Salvian household ahead of the Blue Jays season opener, just look at the Twitter photo. There's a glass of wine and a bag of popcorn the size of a small toddler. Uh, But we do have a show back today. No Blue Jays in action, but the Calgary Flames are playing against the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Uh, Eight o'clock puck drop pregame at seven. Flames talk at four o'clock. So lots of time throughout the afternoon and into the evening to tee this one up here on Sports at 960. Uh, Flames are looking to win three straight games the first time since December 6th and also have an opportunity to tie the Winnipeg Jets in points. They still won't be in the playoff picture because the Jets have the tiebreaker, uh, but a massive, massive two points on the line for the Calgary Flames. Uh, Winnipeg will be playing the Detroit Red Wings tonight. Uh, Detroit's been the spoiler the last couple nights, coming off a 3-2 win against Carolina last night and a 7-4 win against Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Uh, So keep an eye on that out-of-town scoreboard as well. Uh, As we look to tee up this matchup, we're going to head to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in our first guest of the show. It is Sat Shaw. He's the host of Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Sat, what's the feeling like in Vancouver ahead of this game tonight? I saw Elias Pedersen talking about it today. You know, it's always tough for the Canucks to play against the Flames, and they're very aware of the motivation of the Calgary Flames trying to trying to get the tie break against the or trying to tie, excuse me, the Jets in points. So it seems like uh, Vancouver is maybe looking to play spoiler a bit. Yeah, that's kind of uh, what they've been doing the last little bit here is, is playing spoiler and being the the party that tries to drag other people, other teams down to their own level. And we know the Canucks level hasn't exactly been the highest so far this season. But I think it's kind of just a continuation of the stuff we've heard so far from Rick Talkett in terms of trying to establish an identity, establish a standard. And the players are playing hard. So the Canucks haven't been an easy opponent to play down the stretch. I know that's been very frustrating for a lot of Canucks fans because they're kind of wondering where was this earlier and considering where they find themselves in terms of the draft lottery odds and 
uh, the standings. It might be counterproductive from from the fans' perspective, but the players and the team is. I mean, they're probably playing their most consistent hockey so far this season. And I do wonder if we're getting to a point now where they're shutting a couple of guys down. You know, there's only seven, eight games left. We saw some some of their play fall off a little bit. I, I wonder if a team like Calgary just has too much motivation for Vancouver tonight. But that's one thing I'm kind of wondering about is they've been running pretty hot here. Do they just kind of see the finish line soon and, and kind of take their foot off a little bit? Yeah, you know, there was one note in the 32 thoughts that posted today from from Elliot Friedman. Uh, and one note that he said about the Flames was it sure sounds like the Calgary players had a true come to Jesus meeting after the horrible eight to two loss on March 20th in Los Angeles. No more whining publicly or privately. Do your job, play hard, push for the playoffs. They're three and one since then, two points back of Winnipeg and a huge meeting uh, looming next Wednesday in the Manitoba capital. So maybe a little bit of insight there. Maybe a players only meeting actually did some work for the flames. Cause they do look like they're kind of trending in the right direction. Jacob Markstrom's playing better. Uh, still no Chris Tanev in the lineup. Michael stones back, which helps for defensive depth guys are, you know, actually scoring goals. The defense looks better. So things are looking good for the flames, uh, but they're looking good for the Vancouver Canucks lately as well, as you mentioned, Sat. And I'm just wondering why <laughs> they're 10 2 and 1 in their last 13 like we get it i like you proved your point you guys have good players the new coach bump is real but like don't you want like don't they want connor bedard what's happening here you only got a five percent chance now stop i know i know and honestly i mean the fact <laughs> they actually have a five or six percent chance because it seemed like uh you know if they beat the blues the other night that they would kind of fall out of the bottom 10 11 and next thing you know you have a zero percent chance of getting corner bedard so we're at a stage now where connects fans will take a five percent chance because five percent is better than zero percent chance with how this team has been going and i think that's again like it's, it's frustrating for a lot of the fans because we always knew the team underachieved earlier this season. We can talk about their problems and all the drama and the team, you know, not being constructed properly, but they shouldn't have been as bad as they were earlier. And I think part of this is just over the course of a long season, you also have the regression back to the mean. I think that's kind of what's happening as well. The schedule is really easy. But, you know, i got to give Rick Tockett credit. He's come in and he's really sold the guys on the improvements you're making now and the way you play right now matters because we need to carry this over into next season. And the players have collectively bought, bought into that. And it's a bit different than last year because even though last year they were successful on the Boudreaux and, and made it interesting towards the end and just missed the playoffs, the way they were playing, you could kind of tell it was relying on goaltending. It was just try to get the puck out and, and try to hunt pucks down 50-50s and rely on your offensive talent and your goaltending to maybe get you there. And that's kind of what happened. And in some ways, they are relying on goaltending. But if you watch this team play now, they actually have some Calgary Flames-like games every once in a while where there aren't a ton of high-danger scoring chances. And it is kind of nondescript a lot of the, a lot of the game. And we just never saw Vancouver play that way. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a feather in the coach's cap to get these guys playing this way. But the big question always comes down to, to what end? And, you know, we've seen teams go on these types of runs late and then they don't carry that over into next season. So until we see this carry over to next year, I think we'll be somewhat skeptical about, okay, is, is this actually productive? But to give the coach credit, you know, all the things the organization harped on structurally about playing the right way and, and tightening things up, they've actually done all those things. So maybe management was right in terms of this team can be a lot more competitive if they play the right way. The question is, can they consistently play the right way? Or is this a team that is just going to kind of go through the roller coaster, um, you know, get off the bad start, figure it out late, 
but doesn't have kind of the commitment to playing that way for 82 games. And I guess that's the benefit of, you know, actually trying to play good hockey down the stretch versus going full Mm -hmm. tank, right? Is that you can show the players buy into this. This is what could work because if you just go in the tank, I mean, you're, the, the Canucks were probably never going to end up being worse than Chicago, Columbus, Montreal, like Arizona, all the teams who were in that like real bottom five with the best shot at getting Connor Bedard. So, you know, do you want, you know, a, a six and a half percent chance, a five or a five percent chance and actually play some decent hockey down the stretch and, and get some guys feeling good about themselves heading into next season? Well, I mean, and that's obviously a part of it because, I mean, it's clear they believe in a lot of the players here and they're not going to get rid of, you know, the big core guys like the Pedersons, Hughes, Demko, and, and so on. And, you know, despite all the rumors around JT, I, I still expect him to be here. And they have a, a few players that they want to build around. So in that sense, it is. And it's just one of those things where because we've seen the team make coaching changes, we've seen them do some similar things late in the season and take themselves out of the draft position, there's a general skepticism that this time it's going to be different. But to your point, too, and if you kind of look at it, and, and, and I kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we saw with the Calgary Flames before they made the change for Daryl Sutter and how the Flames were playing. They weren't playing proper hockey in any sort of way. And it took a little while for them to figure it out under Daryl Sutter. And now this year, obviously, I need to tell you about all the drama and ups and downs <laughs> that team has had. But, you know, the guys bought in and they carry that over. And I think that's the type of, type of success you can actually buy into organizationally. But I got to say, though, Haley, I think if you catch management in an honest moment and ask them, hey, would you prefer to have a, a bottom five pick or, or win these games? I would wager they would rather have the high draft pick. Not to say they don't like what they're seeing, and they're, they're obviously happy with the coach and seeing some improved play. But organizationally, I think they'd still love to get that high draft pick. And I do believe there is some surprise that Vancouver ended up winning 10 out of 12 games during a stretch. Like, nobody really saw that coming. And they're almost too successful. Like, I think the organization would have been happy <laughs> if they went, say, instead of 10 and 2, they would have gone, say, like, you know, 7 and 5 or something. If you had you done that, you know, maybe you're still taking the positive vibe. So maybe they're winning too much for management's liking. But to your point, anytime you start building a foundation and you start building trust again organizationally, that's never a negative. The hope just is carried over. Like, because we've seen the story before where when we buy in and people think, okay, they figured this out. Boudreaux's the right guy. These guys are figuring it out. And then the next year comes and these guys just don't put the work in this offseason. I think the biggest issue with this team and especially a lot of their players, not their top-end guys maybe, is how badly do they want to get better every year? And I think that's part of the reason, you know, we see the coach sometimes questioning and the management questioning the self-preparation and the mentality a lot of these guys have, especially in the offseason. Yeah, we've seen the new coach bump before in Vancouver just for it to not work so well the next season. Uh, and the new coach bounce is, is bouncing. They're 16-9-3 under Rick Tockett. Uh, Elias Pettersson's having a great season. Uh, Quinn Hughes having a great year. Uh, we can get into those two in a bit here, Sat, during our chat. But I think the one player I want to focus on are, is the improvements that we've seen from JT Miller under Rick Tockett. I, I don't know if there's a player who has benefited more from this from this change. Uh, 11 goals, 34 points in 27 games since Tockett's arrival, including 13 in his last seven. Uh, he's playing better on both sides of the puck. You know, his play driving his defensive numbers everything looks improved for JT Miller uh is this like the biggest takeaway so far from from Rick Tockett being behind the bench you know I I would say it it's 
It's right up there because I think when you look at JT and how he played, it's the perfect microcosm of how the team was playing earlier this season versus how they're playing now. Mm-hmm. And I do think JT was trying to do the right thing defensively a lot. He just found himself stuck a lot and overthinking, and then he made a lot of bad decisions, poor puck management, and then the body language was poor. And it was really a reflection of how the team looked, disheveled, right, completely out of sorts. They're, you know, not trusting teammates, kind of standing still, bad turnovers. And JT was the guy who maybe embodied that the most because of how how visual it was and how you saw it on the ice, especially early this season. And that's really changed in a massive way. And to your point, if you look at how the team is playing and you look at how they were playing earlier this season, the perfect guy to look at and see the change is JT's game. And I would say, in general, having the players be in the right position instead of running around doing whatever the hell they were doing earlier this season. Like, Haley, I'm not joking. Like, it, it was a joke watching these guys change and do line changes. Like, they, they literally would be like, you know what, right. I'm going to get scored on. Let me jump off the ice. Let the other guy get the minus. I mean, that's how they were playing. It was, it was really embarrassing <laughs> watching a National Hockey League team be as selfish as this team was earlier this season. It was essentially like, hey, this is going to hell. Let's just get ours. Let's just get the points we can get because, hey, at least our stats will look good if the team is bad. And you're never going to go get anywhere when, sure. when that's the mentality, right? And you saw a lot of that earlier this season. So I think a, the big thing that Boudreaux, I mean, uh, Tockett has done is getting the guys to just play proper hockey, which I think is laughable. We're sitting here talking about, you know, don't be out for 90 seconds on a shift. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, when you can change, change. Yeah. You know, don't make selfish plays. You don't have to do a home run play every time. It's okay for you to dump the puck in and go off for a line change. You don't have to go hero mode and turn the puck over at the blue line. Like, things like that that would consistently keep happening. And JT was in the middle of it. And, and watching him now, he's completely back to being that play-driving, you know, ice-tilting centerman that had 99 points last year and, you know, you know, has put himself in the conversation as, you know, not in that high, you know, upper echelon tier of NHL centermen, but in the conversation of being a star center, being a star player, 99 points last year. And we're seeing that come back in a big way. And he's doing it, playing with guys like Phil DiGiuseppe, who's a career journeyman. He's been playing with Besser, who's kind of on and off. He he's, has, hasn't had a big year. He's played better under Tockett, but his defensive numbers are still bad. Like, he's essentially dragging whoever he's playing with along, and he's being productive. And when JT can play that way, it does change things significantly for this team because we know Pedersen, when he's out there, he's going to be able to tilt the ice in his favor. And if JT does, plus he gets saved, now all of a sudden it's a much harder team to play against. And when you couple in the team not making as many mistakes, having two centers in drive play, getting saves, and Quinn Hughes being Quinn Hughes, they're just a harder team to beat all of a sudden. And it all really does start with your top-end players. And when JT is the force he can be, it completely changes uh, how difficult this team is to match up against. You know, another player to kind of focus in here uh, before the Flames-Canucks game tonight at Rogers Arena is Elias Patterson. He's on a 13-game point streak, career-high 35 goals, 95 points, and counting. How have you seen him progress in his fifth NHL season? Uh, it's It's been really astonishing just watching him be as consistent as he's been. He's essentially been on fire since the beginning of the year. And it's not really inflated, like his shooting percentage is creeping up a little bit now, but all year he's been productive and he hasn't been doing things that are unsustainable. You know, he's not shooting 25%. You know, he's not just picking up secondary assists. Like he's legitimately driving play and the power play production has actually gone down. Like his production is mainly at even strength. He's one of the top even strength producers in the national hockey league. So when you look at a guy who 
it's really winning his matchups five on five consistently and creating. And then he's also chipping in on the power play. Like there's nothing we're seeing from Pedersen. You look back and say, okay, next year it's going to be hard for him to replicate this year. If anything, you look at this year and say, you know, if, if he actually starts riding percentages a little bit, what can he do? Could he have an even bigger season? Can he be a top three or four point getter in the National Hockey League? I think it's always going to be difficult to knock off uh, Connor McDavid at number one or even number two with dry saddle if they're healthy. But I think the way Pedersen is playing and with the ease in which he picks up points in every single situation, I, I just don't, I just don't think there's going to be, there's a real limit on what this guy can really do. And when you look at his defensive game too, that can improve a little bit, although it has been very good. And he's a very responsible player. And that's the thing that, that is so impressive about his game. He's not really cheating for offense. And at five on five, you don't often see him do something for the sake of trying to score. And those are the types of things you want to see from your higher end players. And he's been doing that all year, really. And under talking, obviously those things are getting honed in a lot more, but for someone to be as productive as he is and not cheat and be as responsible as he is, that's really what's super exciting about his potential and what he can do. Not to mention, I don't think he's physically matured yet. I think there's another couple of levels this guy can really get to, especially once he matures physically and the team just gets better. I mean, we know nothing improves your output and your production um, and your success more than having good teammates. And what can that look like if the team is actually decent next year to make some more additions? So I think Elias Patterson, like he's really put himself in the conversation as a, a top 10 forward in the NHL and some would even say maybe a top 10 skater I think it's hard with defensemen to kind of figure out who's more valuable than whatever but I think the way Pedersen is playing we haven't even seen the best of him and it's finally kind of it, it, it has eased some fears after last year he struggled a bit he had the injury the year before I think a lot of fans in this market now look right. at him and say just give him a blank check whatever he wants to sign for sign him for because he's going to score 100 110 <laughs> points every year and be a good two-way player I don't think worry about it Absolutely. And that top line, I mean, the chemistry between Pedersen and Andre Kuzmenko is, I think you tweeted about it, like it's been blossoming and growing throughout the season and Kuzmenko has a chance to get to 40 goals on the season as well. He's at 37 uh, with a couple, I guess, 10, 10 days left in the season. My gosh, we're almost done here. Uh, like two weeks left of the season. So he could get to 40, uh, you know, that that's going to be a top line that's going to give the Flames some trouble. Dakota Joshua's on that right wing right now, but what kind of player does Vancouver have in Kuzmenko right now? Well, I mean, he's a super dynamic player. I mean, his goal scoring is what gets a lot of reaction. Now, his goal scoring rate is just, I mean, we talked about Pedersen and how there's nothing unsustainable about him this year and how he's played outside of maybe the production on the PK, maybe that's going to be hard to be sticky because it's so hard to produce on the PK consistently. But outside of that, everything seems very much replicable, except for Kuzmenko shooting almost 30%. I mean, that's not going to be replicable, right? Like we're not going to see him back to back years have one of the highest shooting percentages we've seen. Like that's just not going to happen. But the thing with Kuzmenko where in terms of his overall talent and his ability to impact play, he's a really dynamic player. His playmaking skill doesn't quite get, as much discussion because he's been scoring so many goals and he thinks the game at a super high level and his ability to create a little space for himself just with his edge work and the burst he has in his short area quickness it allows him to get the little space he needs to either a get a shot off or b find open space for a teammate and when you have that ability and you're playing with a guy like Pedersen you can kind of see where you know where the upside can be super high and despite the fact that some of the stuff this year is percentage driven 
I do think he has another level to reach with his overall playmaking and an on-ice impact, even if the goal scoring comes down. But he's been the perfect type of fit for Pedersen because of how smart he is and how dynamic he is in those short areas to help out Pedersen. But as far as the game for tonight goes, it's going to be interesting to see what type of game Kuzmenko does have because it's a big night in Vancouver in terms of all the players wearing the pride jerseys, and he's the only player, according to the coach, yeah. who's not going to be wearing the jersey. So, so I wonder you know, what the reaction is going to be like in the building, what his energy level is going to be like, what, what that looks like tonight in terms of the matchup goes. But if you look at his entire season, you know, he's, he's a very dynamic player. But as far as tonight goes, I'm very curious, Haley, to see uh, what the reaction is like at the rink and what he plays like tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, and he's probably not going to be taking a warm-up then, I guess, as well. Yeah. So we'll see how that kind of impacts things. Um, you know, one player who has kind of spoken out and has really shown the the kind of leadership that, that fans are, are taking note of is Quinn Hughes talking about how everybody is welcome in that locker room, everybody's welcome in that building. He thinks wearing the jerseys is important. And it, and it seems like Quinn Hughes is not only continuing to grow as, you know, one of the top defenders in the league, but it seems like he's kind of finding his voice and growing as a leader in that locker room as well. It certainly is. And it, there's been a big opportunity here with uh, Bo Horvat getting traded and the team moving Luke Shen as well, who's a leader on that club. And Oriel, who wore an A a lot of the season, has been injured. So there's been this kind of vacuum of leadership, and he's really stepped into it. And what he's, what he's showing, not only with his play on the ice, but just how he's carrying himself, is that he's ready to be part of the real leadership group here. Because the team hasn't named the captain yet. I know Pedersen's a guy that everybody talks about. But... Patterson himself has kind of mentioned, too, that he's not sure he wants to be captain or whether he thinks he is the type of person that, that you know, is going to be a captain. And I wonder if Quinn, not to say that he's trying to take it away from Patterson or anything, but he's one of those guys that right. over the past year or so, he's really stepped out of his shell. And every time there's been an opportunity for him to grow as a leader, he's, he's really embraced it and really jumped into it. And the only question with him just comes down to some maturity, which is the same we always have for these younger guys. Does he have the overall maturity to be the captain of a team? And it seems like he's really getting to that level, but just the fact that he's able to speak on situations like this and and speak so, so effortlessly, effortlessly about it. Right. And and not make it awkward and, and just say the right thing and say it with confidence. I think those things do matter, especially in the Canadian market and Patterson at times, let's just say, He's not the most comfortable with the media. He can be a little, not to say he's prickly. I don't want to be, you know, he gets get the wrong, give you the wrong impression of him. But, you know, if you ask him a dumb question, he might give you a little side eye. You know what I mean? Like he'll, he'll, you know, he's not going <laughs> to, yeah. he's not going to suffer fools always, which, you know, can get dicey if you're the sure. captain because, you know, captains always get asked a lot of, you know, direct questions. It can be annoying. Whereas Quinn, I think he's <laughs> politically, he's really good at, answering questions and saying the right thing and and doing it in a calm diffusing way and i think that's really a testament to him as an individual growing and and embracing this and not shying away from questions like that right and not shying away from saying what needs to be said and you know we'll see well ultimately who's going to be the next captain of this team but it wouldn't shock me if one day we end up seeing quinn hughes get the captaincy and on the ice you know this is something i wanted to talk about and and i think A lot of the storylines that have maybe made it to the national scope out of Vancouver this season have been, you know, things like 
what's happening with Bruce Boudreau and, and things that are kind of going wrong with the Canucks in the front office, the team, et cetera. A lot of the negative storylines have been the ones that have kind of reached the national level of attention. But I don't know if we've really had enough conversations. And this is on me, too. I'm a national writer. I host a radio show. But I don't know if I've seen enough conversations about the season that Quinn Hughes is having. Um, you know, he became the second. He became the single fastest defenseman in NHL history to reach 200 assists this season. Uh, the other night against the Blues, he had two goals and assist and logged just under, what, 30 minutes of ice time yeah. uh, in that OT loss. He's second behind Eric Carlson in scoring among defenders. Like, like, is he just flying under the radar as a legitimate Norris Trophy candidate this season? I just, maybe I'm missing something here, but I don't, I feel like I hear about Carlson. I'm hearing about Adam Fox. Yeah. Uh, I'm hearing about so many other young defenders in this league and not enough about Quinn Hughes. Well, I think with Quinn, it's a couple of things. One, he's just a smaller defenseman. I think there is this this bias against smaller uh, defensemen and this bias towards what their ultimate upside is and what their style of play is. I hear people say oftentimes, well, Quinn's bad defensively. He's too small to be a good defender. And it's like, well, you haven't watched them play. But there are a lot of people have that sense. It kind of seems like people look at Quinn and say, well, he's good offensively, but he's not good defensively. There's this kind of reputation for whatever reason. He's a small guy who gets pushed around a lot. And he's not going to be able to be, you know, a cornerstone defenseman. He doesn't play in every situation. But then this year, Haley, I mean, he plays with a PK. He's been good on the PK. He plays in every single role. He's been productive on the power play. He's productive five on five. He gets the tough matchups. He defends well in his own zone. He's not getting crushed. I mean, for, for a team who has pretty much every single player at a dash, he's like a plus 16 on a bad Canucks team this year. I mean, it kind of tells you about the degree of difficulty he's faced and still being a plus player at a high degree. It's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, look at Eric Carlson. He's been great offensively, but defensively, it's been an absolute disaster when he's on the ice. Now, how much of that is him or the team? They all kind of go hand in hand. But Quinn hasn't really been victimized defensively a lot this season. Sure, people make mistakes. Sure, there's some times where, you know, his game hasn't been where it needs to be defensively, but nobody plays perfect 82 games in their own zone. And one of the things he's so good at defending is, He's got a great stick, and he's really smart. And one of the things that smaller guys can do if they're not afraid, and he's kind of showing this fearlessness, is he's not afraid of putting himself into somebody's space. Like, he's really good at angling guys with a stick and forcing them to the outside, even though if they're bigger, because he's such a good skater. He's good at getting into their space and making it difficult for them. He's not going to be a type of guy that's going to bowl anybody over. But if you defend smart, and if you're not afraid of getting sticking your nose in there and, and using your size to get in front of guys and try to knock pucks away, you can be really good. And that's kind of what he's showing. I, I think if you watch Quinn Hughes closely defensively, you don't oftentimes see him get spun around or him getting, you know, pushed aside. Like he's very good at trying to use his leverage because he's shorter and his skating to keep guys to the outside or force them to get the shot off more difficult and get, get more difficult shots off instead of trying to getting straight lines to the net, especially coming off the boards. And those are the types of things that, you know, we always talk about offensive defensemen. They're not really good at doing, and you wish some of the offensive D-men could at least be passable on their own end. Not only is Quinn passable, he's actually excelling defensively. And if this team wasn't uh, such a cluster, you know, what all year, and maybe if they were actually competing for a playoff spot, the discussion around Quinn Hughes would be a little, little different than what it is right now. But I don't know if he should be a finalist for the Norris necessarily this season, because I think there are a lot of great defensemen. But the fact that, you know, people kind of just dismiss Quinn as a legitimate number one, I think is something that people are going to have to wrap their heads around that he's a legitimate number one defenseman and should be in the Norris conversation for the better part of the decade. 
Awesome. Great stuff, Sat. Uh, enjoy the game tonight and enjoy the Pride Night at Rogers Arena. The jerseys look gorgeous. I can't wait to see those during warm-ups. Yeah, it's going to be a great night. Uh, the Canucks do this right every single year, and uh, we'll see what the reaction is to the Kuzmenko stuff, but I think you're right. I mean, organizationally, uh, the Canucks have always taken uh, the Pride Night to heart. They have a lot of great uh, events before the game, during the game, to reach out to the community. So I'm looking very much forward to it, and I, and I hope all the stories are positive after the game. Awesome. Great stuff. Thanks. Enjoy the game. You got it. Thanks, Haley. All right, there goes uh, Sat Shaw. He's the host of Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. If you want to hear more uh, about the Vancouver Canucks ahead of that game, you can check out his show uh, live on the air in Vancouver tonight uh, or on demand wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. cetera. Uh, Flames Canucks puck drop at 8 o'clock tonight. Pre-game at 7. Flames talk coming up at 4 o'clock with Pat Steinberg. So lots more to come teeing up this game here on Sportsnet 960. And that conversation with Sat is brought to you by the Atlas Pizza by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, excuse me, using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, take her to delivery, also available at 403-248-3344. A couple of lineup notes for tonight. Uh, it's an optional morning skate for the Flames in Vancouver, so no lines, no D pairs to report. Uh, Matt Coronado, Jacob Peltier, Adam Rzichka, and Michael Stone uh, were reported to have been out late on the ice with Dan Vladar, meaning we're likely to see the same lineup for the Flames as last game. Jacob Markstrom, your projected starter. Philip Roenick won't play for the Vancouver Canucks tonight. He actually won't play for the rest of the season. That's according to Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Uh, yet another hit to the blue line for the Canucks. They're already missing Oliver ekman Larson, Travis Dermott, and Tucker Pullman on the blue line. Jack Rathbone was recalled on an emergency basis this afternoon, and Thatcher Demko is the projected starter for the Canucks. And as you heard from Sat, uh, it's Pride Night for the Canucks at Rogers Arena tonight. Uh, we're going to head to a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Jeff Merrick from 32 Thoughts, the Jeff Merrick Show and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, lots of playoff battles going around in the league here. Obviously, the Calgary Flames trying to get in and, and take the last wild card spot away from the Winnipeg Jets, the Panthers, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Eastern Conference. So we're going to dive in to all of that coming up next with Jeff Merrick on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central continues here on Sportsnet 960, but we're going to head right back to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in our friend Jeff Merrick. He's a host on Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, 32 Thoughts, The Jeff Merrick Show. And now you can hear him here. Jeff, thanks for too doing much. this. It's, way, it's way, way too much. I mean, I'm sick of my own voice at this point. Maybe, I don't think there's too was, much Jeff was, Merrick on the radio. Was that the Canada skate today before World Championships? They're playing Finland tomorrow, so we're yep. starting to yep. get into my bread and butter here. I'm very excited for Women's Worlds. Yep, I uh, I don't blame you. Um, I think we all are as well, and I think at the uh, at the end of it, or maybe during sometime during the event, we may get an announcement about uh, the mm-hmm. PWHPA and the future uh, of that organization. So we shall see. So this could be eventful for a uh, for a couple of different reasons. We'll see. Yeah, 
Yep, I had some sources tell me that like the players have already been told that the league is officially oh, yeah. greenlit. It's happening. The players are aware of it. It's just a matter of when the announcement to the public is going to be. Um, nobody will put like the exact date on it for me, but uh, you know, you've got all the best players in the world in Brampton for this tournament. It would be kind of a missed opportunity if they don't announce it then. So I'm with you. I it think sounds, that's the, that makes the most sense, but it, 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 we've been doing this for years. Like, just, so yeah, I know this has been, this is, this has been a dance. It's like, how many times has this announcement been false started or how many times yeah. has, you know, sort of progress been false started? I think one of the interesting questions here is, is going to be, um, which are the markets and in which countries? Like I'm, I'm starting to, the, the, the more that I start to snoop around, the more that I believe there might be three U.S. and three Canadian, and mm-hmm. two of those teams might be in Ontario, the other mm-hmm. one being Montreal. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to find out. I think the original original six that I was told has changed multiple times, uh, but it seems like they've got – They've done a whole lot of market research. They know the markets that are going to work. They know the markets that are really hoping to have a women's pro hockey team there. I know personally I think it would be great to see a team in Detroit because there's not even a single D1 women's hockey program in the state of Michigan, uh, which is a huge hockey huge hockey area. Uh, girls hockey with, with the Little Caesars is a big deal. So Detroit is one that I've circled to pay attention to, but, uh, you but know, we'll see. I'm excited to hear – where they end up. Yeah, you and me both. You know, I, I wonder, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone about a month ago about it, and this person was wondering if, as part of the schedule, some of the league games might be played in neutral sites. Um, so mm-hmm. whether, you know, whether or not Seattle gets a, uh, gets a, gets a, gets a team, and I, I don't think they will. I mean, that market is demonstrated that they, they, yeah, tough, horrible for travel, but they'll fill buildings, right? Like we've, we've seen that before. So I I was at that game. 14,000 was great. Crazy, right? It was, it was insane. It was fantastic. So I, I do wonder if as part of whatever schedule eventually comes out for this new proposed league, there are how many, you know, how many different teams are playing games in neutral sites here, whether it's Seattle or, Los Angeles or wherever for that matter. I'm, I'm curious about that. I want to say nothing of Western Canada, whether it's, you know, Calgary, whether it's Edmonton, whether it's Saskatoon, whether it's Vancouver, don't know, but I would imagine that exhibition games might be on the, uh, on the table for some of these, not exhibition games, um, neutral site games on the yes. table for some of these teams. Yeah, it's an exciting time for women's hockey for sure, and this tournament uh, is a great time to kind of make some of these big announcements. Uh, but, you know, making the transition over to, to the NHL, Jeff, we've got yeah. a little bit of time here with you. Um, first question, what did you do to Daniel Sprong? <laughs> I love Daniel Sprong. I'm so glad you asked that because I'll tell you what, Haley, nothing gives me more joy than watching Daniel Sprong score. Like, I don't even have to watch Seattle anymore. Like, I just get texts from, like, I got, you know, texts from, uh, text from friends. I got two texts from people in the organization now that they're all aboard on this, you know, Team Sprong bit. Um, it is a lot of fun, and I like how everybody tags Elliot with it as well. I mean, I just yeah. love the, I mean, the the Sprong story to me is an interesting one. Um, you know, the family came over from from Amsterdam when Daniel was, I think, seven or eight years old. Um, moved to Montreal, and then it, it seems like every single season, 
you know, Daniel Sprong played on a different elite team. And before he went to, uh, before he went to Charlottetown, the QMJHL to play, uh, ended up in, in Wilkes-Barre on a team with like five or six, like high level, including Ivan Provorov, Russian players. So he sort of jumped around every year of his life from team to team to team to team. And it wasn't until he got to uh, Charlottetown in the queue that he actually played on the same team two years in a row. The idea that he'd be on the same team for more than a season was foreign to him. He's got a great shot. We all know that. Like, that shot is elite. I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, wonder about his defensive acumen. and a lot of people wonder about his play in his own zone. But offensively, with the puck on his stick, it goes in. Um, and as far as getting value from your fourth line, I mean, I know Dave Haxall kind of tries to run it as even as possible, but, you know, Sprong is, you know, often less than 10 minutes a game. And to get 20 goals out of a player who's, you know, most likely plays less than 10 minutes a game and is occasionally scratched as well on a $750,000 contract, that is value. What did I do to him? Nothing more <laughs> than turned a flashlight on him. That's it, Haley. Yep, you called it back in November on on the Jeff Merrick show, and yet twenty goals, forty points, new career high for Daniel Sprong, who looks right at yeah. home with the Seattle Kraken. Um, we're at the point in the season, Jeff, where I think last year, last year at this time, there wasn't a whole lot of like fun, interesting stories to watch. A lot of the playoff True. matchups and the playoff teams were all set. Uh, we do have a lot of teams who have clinched and are close to getting to that point, but there are still a lot of teams playing meaningful games. Uh, as we turn the calendar from March to April over yeah. the weekend. Uh, and one of those teams right now is the Pittsburgh Penguins. They win last night. The Panthers win last night. Pittsburgh's in wild card two, one point up on Florida. Uh, but boy, those two <laughs> kind of wondering who's gonna, who's gonna get the, get the playoff yeah. spot here. Well, you know, it's funny too, Haley, because I look at this matchup too and I say, okay, so uh, going down the stretch, if there's only a point separating, to me usually in that situation, my default setting is always, okay, who has the better goaltender or who's getting the better goaltending? Because um, mm-hmm. that's the team that I'm going to back. In a normal fight like that, I would say Sergei Bobrovsky. But the scary thing is uh, Tristan Jari's back. I know he's had the hospital bracelet issue for a long time. And Tristan Jari comes back last night and throws a shutout. Now, if you can get any kind of decent net minding out of Tristan Jari, given what we've seen the Pittsburgh Penguins, seeing the level that we've seen the Pittsburgh Penguins perform at, they should be able to do this. Having said that, the Pittsburgh Penguins team to me over the last, what do you figure, Haley, three or four years, have Mm -hmm. maybe been the most frustrating team in the NHL. I don't yep. know that I, I can think of I don't know that I can think of one team going back to when the NHL reintroduced itself coming out of the 0405 lockout where we've seen a team that can look just like Stanley Cup incredible one game and look like they don't even belong in the league the next game. Like I don't know that I've seen a team that can be excellent and awful in the same week. But that's the Pittsburgh Penguins and that's specifically the last 3 or 4 years. When the Pittsburgh Penguins are on, like when everybody's clicking and it's all working, it is a thing of beauty. This is yeah. a team that you look at and you say, you know what? I, I don't like, the, I don't like the, the, the numbers in the matchup, but if the Pittsburgh Penguins are firing and they can get saves, 
I don't think it's a stretch to say they could knock off the Boston Bruins in an opening round, but the caveat is they have to get saved. The problem is, can they string that many excellent games together? Sometimes they can. It's kind of like, you ever heard of the bicycle theory, Haley? Yeah. Yeah. So the principle is, when you're up on the bike, as long as you're pedaling hard, you can stay balanced and you can continue to ride. But the minute you slow down a little bit, you fall off. Or the minute you stop pedaling, you fall off. And that's kind of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, I don't know. Maybe you could think of another team. I can't. I don't know that I've seen a team with as many Hall of Famers on it. Like, elite, elite-level players. Crosby, Malkin, Latang. Like, I don't know that I've seen a team that has the potential to be that good that if they take the foot off the gas even a little bit, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, like they're very frustrating. If, like, if, yeah, like if, if, if they're not pushing, 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 if they just try to, try to you know, surf on their skill, some teams do it and do it successfully. Tampa can, you know, has the ability to do that. If they just try to surf on their skill, they look awful. But they have Hall of Famers in the lineup. It is such a maddeningly, maddeningly frustrating team to watch, but – if they can put it all together, mm-hmm. this is a team that I still think can do damage. They do need to get saved. Jari coming back and throwing a shutout at Nashville last night is huge for them. But again, we'll see. Because if it comes down to goaltending, if Bobrovsky gets hot, look out. Yeah, and the Penguins do kind of have the the Sidney Crosby factor, and we saw how good he was in that huge yeah. must-win game against the Colorado Avalanche not long ago, that crazy backhander. I talked about it on this show for a while, uh, just yeah. specifically the backhander that he scored on. So the Sidney Crosby factor is real. In the West, the other kind of big storyline right now that's particularly of interest to Flames fans and listeners of this show is what is going on with the Winnipeg Jets. Goal scoring oh. has dried up. They've only won seven of their last 21. They played Detroit at home tonight, and the Red Wings are coming off two big wins against those frustrating Pittsburgh Penguins in the Carolina Hurricanes. It's feeling like either a huge, big, momentum-swinging win for the Jets or another loss that has people wondering, is this Rick Bonus or the players both? Like, what is going on in Winnipeg? Is there a team, Haley? I'll throw this one back at you. Because I think the answer is no. Is there a team that seems more stressed or more tense right now than the Winnipeg Jets? Like, that is a team, to me, that is in need of a release valve. Now, after the loss on Saturday against the Los Angeles Kings, um, the Jets players asked if they could have, you know, sort of an, an extra team bonding day in Los Angeles. You know, let us go out and play golf or chill or, or do whatever. We're going through a... Uh, uh, you know, we just had a tough game against the uh, uh, against the Los Angeles Kings. Just give us a day to come together as a team. And the organization, Rick Bonus agreed and said, okay, take your day, but you better show up against the San Jose Sharks. The San Jose Sharks game was the one they absolutely had to win, and they ended up losing 3 nothing. Like, laid the proverbial egg in that one. And that's where you saw Rick Bonus get snappy. Um, that's where you start to see players start to make excuses. And, you know, I, I really I really can't help but thinking that as much as I'm not much of a, you know, he's a good guy in the room, you do need, like, someone that makes it fun to come to the rink or can take some of the pressure off. And it seems as if ever since Dustin Bufflin exited Winnipeg, they haven't had that guy. 
and the pressure goes mm-hmm. nowhere and the tension goes nowhere and the frustration goes nowhere. It stays. Players like Dustin Bufflin, how many times have you heard, oh, he's a great guy in the room? Yeah, I know they don't flood the room. I get that. But still, this team needs to relax. Everybody is so tense. Everybody is so stressed. I mean, that that collar, I, Haley, how tight does the collar look around Rick Bonus's neck right now? Like, he is frustrated. Everybody's angry. Everybody's cranky. Everybody's sour. We'll see tonight. This is a huge one for the Winnipeg Jets, a big one for the Calgary Flames against Vancouver as well. This is a huge one for the Winnipeg Jets tonight against the Detroit Red Wings, a team that's, you know, playing loose, playing fun. Um, they got, you know, Marco Casper, they've just, uh, they just called up. They just brought him over playing a rogue over the last few years, the first round draft pick two years ago. This one is a dangerous game for the Winnipeg Jets because Detroit comes in loose. Winnipeg's really tense. Everyone there seems really pissed off. I don't know, man. It's not feeling good at all for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly making everything interesting. They have kicked the door and left it open for the Calgary Flames and the Nashville yeah. Predators, the Preds that are missing, Duchesne, Johansson, Forsberg, Yossi, and everyone they traded at the deadline. Uh, and they have kept it interesting for everyone uh including flames fans and my radio show it's been nice to track the the jets thanks (laughs) thanks to winnipeg for giving me meaningful hockey down the stretch it seems yeah well i know it's funny too because it wasn't it was like what a cozy five minutes ago we're saying oh this is you know this is going to be the last hurrah for this winnipeg jets team we you know we suspect that they'll you know move on from shafley and wheeler and we'll see what happens with hellebuck and you know, can they move Dubois because they, we all know where this thing is headed. Is he could, they're going to need to do some type of rebuild here and get some assets for players. This is going to be their last big playoff run with this group. Uh, there's no guarantees they even get there to have that last hurrah, Haley. Yeah, well, great stuff, Jeff. I know uh, you've got to run. We had some technical difficulties, so that's all the time we have. And you've got, you know, actual children to chauffeur around for hockey things. So enjoy doing that bas- for the weekend. Hockey and, <laughs> hockey and basketball, Haley. Now we've added another, another sport to the mix of hockey, baseball. Now it's basketball, too. So I need a couple more hours. Multi-sport athletes. I know. I good. played basketball when I was in. Uh, I played basketball. It's great. It's fun. You want, to teach, you want to teach a cup? You want to? Te- no, they're not. They're two of the. They're two of the <laughs> the smallest kids on their team, but they just love it. They're just obsessed with it right now. So um, we could oh, be in the market awesome. for some private lessons. So don't be surprised if your phone rings. Yeah, make sure they know how to handle the ball. And in that case, I can't help you. I was a. I was not a good dribbler. I didn't have a left hand. Yeah. So. Yeah. They need help. You know, rebounding. <laughs> Let me know. You're the one. I was. I was really bad with it as well. They used to say I had hands like feet. So that lets you know everything you need to know oh. about me as a basketball player. Yeah, hands like feet. There you go, Mary. <laughs> That's tough. Well, thank you for coming on, and uh, sorry <laughs> about the you, technical Lee. difficulties. Have a good weekend. No problem. You'd be good. Have a great weekend to all your listeners, too. Thank you. There goes Jeff Merrick, uh, Sportsnet host on Hockey Day in Canada, 32 Thoughts on the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A quick one with Jeff. It's the final show of the week. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Hockey Central and Sportsnet 960 The Fan.